to Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest is unapologetically intense and unflinchingly compassionate, a communication catalyst helping high-reaching professionals speak powerfully to advance their goals. She has worked with CEOs, innovators, and ambitious professionals and led workshops at corporations including Quartz, Salesforce, and Google's X-Team. She helped Rio secure the 216 Olymp- Summer Olympic Games, which must have been amazing. I can't wait to hear about that, and has spoken at an influential events across the globe. After attending auctioneering school for fun, she's translated translated that technique she learned into a program that prepares women to ask for more and leave nothing on the table called Ask Like an Auctioneer. That project produced a mission to put more money and decision-making power in the hands of women so we can change everything for all of us. I love that. Absolutely. Uh, She's been featured on CNBC, Make It, Forbes, and Fast Company. Welcome, Dia Bondi. Hi. Nice to be here. Uh, So I got to start off. Auctioneering school, did you grow up in the Midwest? Was oh, it something no. that... <laughs> no, I am a Northern California girl, grew up in a surfing family who spent more time outdoors than indoors and nowhere near a live auction for livestock or anything else. Um, but I, during a sabbatical a handful of years ago, I sort of made good on a bucket list item because I had done the auction for our kids fundraiser when they were in a preschool. <clears throat> and I um, went to auctioneering school just as an adventure. And it turns out, it did change everything. Well, that's fantastic. One that you did something so cool into that you followed and took something off our bucket list that wasn't just like, you know, going to a play or visiting somewhere that was actual like hard work. So I gave our listeners a, a very highlight reel. Tell us a little bit more about uh, who you are and, and what you do. Well, I'm a mom of two kiddos. At this point, I have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old, and they're completely awesome. Um, Married my high school sweetheart. And for about, uh, we've been married 22 years. I, um, for the last 20 years, my work has really been dedicated to the communication space, helping internal leaders and founders, as you said in my intro, speak powerfully. And that used to look like skills workshops. Now it looks like more intimate engagements with small cohorts and uh, one-on-one with founders who are usually VC-backed and beyond to help them build out something um, we've created called the platform map, which is a four-part foundational, you can think of it kind of as content, but it's a it's a platform for a leader's voice, which includes sort of a, a purpose statement there, uh, a more strategic founder leader story that brings more meaning and context into their own personal story when they stand in front of an audience or a boardroom or a fundraising um, of, or in, in a fundraising exercise. Um, the platform app also includes sort of developing and, and naming and claiming their point of view and the topic that they really care about in the world, whether they're in technology or not. It doesn't even have to be in the, related directly to the industry they're in. It's more about what they really care about in the world. I have a data scientists who talk about ocean plastics, you know. And the last component is they're developing and naming and claiming their values in action, which we think of as operating principles. And so we run programs and I do one-on-one coaching um, and bespoke engagements around that work in parallel to Project Ask Like an Auctioneer, which we launched in 2019 to help a million women ask for more and get it. And the book, thankfully, will be coming out in 2023 for that project. Oh, excellent. All right. I I thought the book was out. So you heard it, heard it here, not first, but <laughs> we'll definitely uh, put a link to the uh, pre-order for that um, in the show notes. So 
as my listeners know, I ask all of my guests four core questions. So if you're ready for that, we'll, we'll get going. Sure. So what, what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? Long haul truck driver. Any background on that? Was it? <laughs> I, lo- I love the pause. Like, uh, yeah, were you expecting me to say nurse or teacher or lawyer or doctor? Yeah, no. Long haul truck driver. Um, I don't know. I think I had this wild fantasy. You know, one of my core drivers and values is adventure. And um, I, I love me a good solo flight. And so I just I had this fantasy when I was a kid of like owning my own enormous, perfectly polished, like black and red and chrome 18 wheeler and like being out on the road by myself driving this boss truck and like pulling into a loves truck stop and having the, you know, the door open and have me drop out of the driver's seat and not what you'd expect. Um, because in the, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50. So in the eighties, there weren't a lot of women driving long haul, you know, kick-ass trailer tractor trailers across country. So there was something that was very attractive and interesting and powerful about that. And we used to take road trips short road trips, um, in Northern California, along sort of a trucking route. And so we would always gaze at, you know, look at that truck. So shiny. Look at that one. It's so perfect. And that one's got a sleeper cab. And so we would chat about it. And I just had this fantasy in my mind. And, um, there's a lot actually about the career I chose that has those elements. I didn't, I don't even know if I chose my career, but the, the career that developed, um, for me has a lot of those same elements of sort of being out on the road and, and, um, and being in sort of solo flight a lot. I, I absolutely adore that you wanted to be a long haul truck driver. Everybody as a kid can relate to the, you know, the road trips and looking at the station wagon window, just like desperately wanting to be there and a truck would drive by and he'd honk your honk their horn oh, at you, right? Yes. And the excitement oh, yes. of it. Totally. And if you had parents, and maybe I'm dating myself here where you could like turn on, you'd, you'd have a CB radio in the car and you could hear the truckers talking to one another. Yeah. The whole thing. Very cool. Who was the first big influence in your life you remember? This is always such, um, this question always stings for me. Uh, and, and, but I would say, you know, lots of the folks that have had influence, you know, it's, it's like, what, what kind of influence are you asking, you know, about, um, one person that pops up for me is my grandma, Mary, she's passed now, but, um, was a, a real gnarly, scary force in our family. And at the same time, she ran it like a boss, you know, her nails were always perfect. Uh, I always got to order off the adult menu. We went out for fancy lunch and she, you know, she could not be pushed around. I don't think I saw her. I don't think I saw her ever get pushed around, whether it was a maitre d' at a restaurant giving her a table she didn't like, or if it was, you know, the way in which my grandfather was barbecuing the ribs that day at our poolside at our poolside family parties. Like she just ran it, and she was unapologetic about it. That's amazing to have that kind of influence from an early, early days. Although I can imagine, you know, let's be clear, grandma. she was mean. She was mean. Yeah. <laughs> In like the best possible way. And I, I could legit say that I was her favorite, but it didn't mean I was fully protected from, you know, her, uh, her talents here and there. You took the best out of it. So clearly that's a good thing. <laughs> Is there a song that epitomizes your career path? I can imagine having wanted to be a trucker, what some of those songs could have been. But 
there isn't actually no, but there's one album that sticks out for me that is not about my career, but gave gave me a space to be kind of dreamy and weird when I was young. That was kind of an alternative path, which is there's an album called My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. Do you know this album? I don't. It's a uh, Brian Eno and um and um David Byrne did this collaboration. And um, my husband actually bought it for me on vinyl. He found it at our local record store for me a couple of years ago. It was something, and it was an album my parents had, and it was like very early. I know these are supposed to be short answers, but they're very. Uh, it was very early, like resampling of other sounds, um, not just music, into this compilation of music behind it, and it was like nothing I'd heard before, and it was kind of a weird tip of the hat to like oh no, you don't have to do like a four by four and it's got, you know, six verses and two refrains and it has to be three and a half minutes. Like it was just, it was a weird, wild adventure. And I remember laying on the floor when I was a kid listening to My Life in the Bush of Ghosts and feeling like you could be a musician. I never wanted to be a musician, but you could be a thing. You could be in a lane and not play by the rules. And it would appear that you've taken that to heart as well. So a street name for your career, if it was an actual road. This is, I don't know. Uh, a street name for me would be like, it'd probably be the PCH. Or maybe, you know, as you go up North California, it's like, I know it doesn't have to be an actual name, but it would be like Highway 1. It's the most majestic, beautiful, and it sometimes deteriorated and other times like thrilling drive. That's excellent. That encapsulates many of our careers. So that's that's very good. I think you've you've done well on that one. So what has your journey been look looked like? I mean, you've you've certainly done a, a many a thing. Um, you've you've taken different turns, but from um from uh, where you started to where you had today, has it has it been pretty smooth? Have you hit some bumps? Any major crossroads? It's a total mess. It's a terrible mess. It's what my mom would call a fiery crash. One fiery <laughs> crash after another. Um, you know, but it's been, it's been very, you know, I know that this show is called Uncharted Journeys. It has been super uncharted. You know, there's been a lot of like, I'm doing map making while I'm figuring out where I'm going next. Like, I'm actually... I feel like in a lot of ways, there's a pioneering spirit to what I've carved out for myself. And it's a thrill and has been, in some cases, um, a little exhausting because there's an aloneness to it. You know, it's not like I get hired in somewhere and I can ask the question, talk to me about career pathing in-house. You know, tell me what my, tell me what's possible here. What is the possible set of trajectories I could take here? which a lot of organizations have some some amount of an answer for you. And you just, you can, not just, but you can take advantage of those carved paths. They don't always work that way, but you can because they've, they've been laid out. I, I, a lot of my colleagues are in the space of learning development, you know, workforce development, spaces where they are accountable for building career pathways internally so folks can, you know, develop and grow and push up against their own potential and explore explore and learn, um, and increasingly add value to the space that they're in. I've, I, you know, I, I never had any of that coaching or, you know, um, 
even loose maps. So it's been, it's been really, a, 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 there are parts that were really difficult. I started my, started my career in fitness, although I was an international economics major. And one of the most powerful and important tools have been in my career path is letting, like being really open to what I'm dreaming for myself and then letting my dreams be known to the people around me. I don't know, you know, I can say I, I, you know, I have a dream to work with people in a certain way, but I didn't know what that actually meant or looked like or what the name was for that. And in that way, letting that dream be known helped me find people who could help me find the language to describe, you know, the, and, and the locations where that, those dreams could actually come to life. Was there a defining moment, a decision, action, something that significantly impacted the trajectory of your career? Yes. Through someone in my network who I was not yet friends with, and now became, we became very close, early days when I was looking for like, where am I going to jump out of this fitness world and into the professional world? She introduced me to somebody who ended up being my first mentor. I met him. Um, for the first time, he he lives in New York and part-time in Iceland. I'm in California. We met in California once when he was on a trip. And I said, wow, what you do seems really interesting. I'm, you know, it seems like something I might, it's compelling to me. And it, and it, the potential for it to be something I could do all over the world was equally compelling. My, you know, my, my inner 18 wheeler uh, wanted to be out on the road and there, that was a possibility there. And uh, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, You need to actually see this work before you think you're saying yes to it. And so I got in a room, I watched him and one of his colleagues facilitate a three-day class. And I had never been more, my jaw was on the floor and I'd never wanted anything so bad, like so bad it hurt my body, you know? And that was really an important moment of like recognizing, huh, I just saw something that I want and then let myself want it. I'm kind of, you know, writing my first book right now and it's a little bit happening again. And, and, you know, in my more mature state of my career, it's easy to not notice those really compelling moments because I'm a very engaged adult woman who is cultivating friendships, maintaining a marriage, keeping track of my children's development and helping to grow and be a supportive presence for them. You know, I need to, I need to blow the yard and take the garbages out. Like I'm, I don't like the word busy, but I'm deeply engaged in the world around me in a way that is easy to miss the signals the world is giving you or miss the signals that my body is giving me that something might be compelling or interesting to me. So that first moment sitting in that classroom, it was, you know, it was a facilitation um, room in a training center at a large tech company um, in Silicon Valley. And I, I was, let myself be compelled by it. And I think that's happening again now, 20 years later, but in a little different direction. So your current role, so you've, you've gone through um, different parts of your career and now you're focused on this book, which I imagine there's a bit of a, a dichotomy of drive. So you have this business that is thriving and, and doing really, really well, and you love what you do. And then you have this calling of writing a book, which I've heard many people talk about how it's something that, you know, maybe starts at the back of their head and just becomes something you can't ignore anymore. Are you finding a dichotomy in that? Are you finding different challenges? Or? No, not at all. Because for me, it is a hundred percent about helping people speak powerfully in a way that is aligned to who they truly are, whether they're doing it as a CEO in front of an audience or at an 
all hands or, you know, on an earnings call or in a fundraising exercise, or if I'm talking to one woman who is figuring out how to ask for more of what she needs to actually reach her goals, same thing, same challenges, same anxieties, same storytelling frameworks they can use. Like it's very similar. Project Ask Like an Auctioneer started with my communications world and my funny impact hobby of auctioneering, which I do for women-led nonprofits and nonprofits that benefit women and girls here in the Bay Area, those two things came together for me. You know, I, I was looking at what is it um, – it hit me one day actually that – and this is a handful of years ago. You know, when I start working with a client in communications, I need to understand what is it that they want? What are they asking for from a particular moment in time or just in general? What are they asking for? And the answer I got – and the way in which we design sort of the asks that drive the storytelling that that a leader I work with will design is the way we do that actually leaves money and opportunity on the table. And I didn't see that until I started auctioneering as an impact hobby. So to me, these intersect really well. Now, the book isn't one that had a calling around it. The project had a calling on, around it. And I started Project Ask Like an Auctioneer, doing keynotes and workshops around this. We have a keynote that we bring to organizations and a workshop called um, Your Most Powerful Ask Live, where I teach the ideas of what it means to ask like an auctioneer. And then everyone in the room develops a powerful ask because asking is a success strategy. It's not just like at an ordained negotiation moment, that's when you need to use your negotiation skills. No, I want women to think about asking as a success strategy and to be able to create, invent, and design asks that are meaningful to their goals, no matter whether they're at a negotiating table or not. Like the world is your negotiating table. You know, we did a bunch of, I did, you know, we brought that workshop and keynote all over the place. And so the book to me is almost just writing down my three years of being in rooms with hundreds and hundreds of women, ambitious women, teaching this idea and hearing how they've used it and packing it together in a book so we can reach more women. And that way it's a very, although it was, I, the the manuscript is in the hands of my of my editor now and it's been written, which is just amazing to me. And that's the thing I'm waking up to is like, I think I like writing books. And I think I'm, I'm like, I got it to my editor six weeks early. I think that's unheard of in publishing. It's really a wonderful, it was a wonderful experience for me. And I flip it. I don't use writing the book as a way to develop the ideas. I develop the ideas co-created with the audience I wanted to impact through de professional development experiences, through workshops, through content. And then I'm going to write the book based on how you know, what is developed through experimenting with these ideas live in rooms with people. It doesn't feel like a dichotomy. It feels like a very integrated experience, actually. Was there something during your, you talk about these, this three years of running the program, meeting, uh -huh. it sounds like you could give me a laundry list of people I could talk to for my podcast, these ambitious women and mm -hmm. seeing the growth and seeing the shift between when they walk into the room to, to maybe when they leave the room. Has there been any, you know, one or two things that really struck you that either maybe you were surprised by or confirmed an expectation as you, you did this? I know, you know, I do some workshop and, and coaching as well on a, on a content front and often what we expect to get or what we expect to see in our participants isn't necessarily what we find. 
You know, Project Ask Like an Auctioneer was built on the backs of 15 years already doing communications work. So it wasn't like this is a brand new idea that I'm operating in a vacuum and I have no suspicions about what's like I built on patterns that I had already seen in all my communications work. That doesn't mean that surprising things don't show up. Um, I remember one very specific moment the first time. I got, I stood in front of a room to share the ideas of Ask Like an Auctioneer with, it was like 65 women in Silicon Valley. Um, they were, I, I had been invited to do a short talk about personal branding. I was like, I don't even do that. But I did use that that invitation to say, hey, I don't do that. And that's not really what I want to do. But I do have an idea I've been cooking that I want to experiment with. And I want to put it in front of a group of women and see what happens. So I got in front of this group and I said, all right, ladies, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to share this 20 minutes reduced version of ask like an auctioneer. Here's your job. When I'm done, you need to tell me if it's crap or if I need to keep going. Uh, unanimous. Everyone said, keep going. And in that conversation, you know, there are a lot of women raised their hands and wanted to share their story about what the experience is of them asking for asking big, you know, and one woman raised her hand and said, Hey, I have a, you know, an opportunity to, to ask for something. And notice I, I used the word negotiation earlier, but I don't like that word because this isn't, to me, this isn't a negotiation workshop. It's an asking workshop. Like negotiation happens after. Okay. Or the negotiation might be the context, but I want to zero in on very one very specific thing, which is what is it are, that you're asking for? And how much of it are you asking for? And why is that? And what are the ways in which you can challenge your assumptions about what you think you can get inside of an ask? Okay. Negotiation is like, that's the conversation that can happen after. So this woman raised her hand and she said, she said something like, I'm heading into an ask. How do I make this ask and not be perceived as? And then she filled in the blank with like, I mean, it doesn't matter. Anybody listening could fill in the blank with, you know, not be seen as greedy or pushy or bossy or like whatever, just fill it in. And in that moment, I had a choice. I was like, I could either help this woman figure out how to pretzel herself into a super, un you know, uncomfortable position such that nobody will ever perceive her as anything other than, you know, as, as anything that feels like a potential risk to the ask that she's making, or I can make a decision right now in Project Ask Like an Auctioneer that I'm tired of helping women pretzel themselves to accommodate other people. So I, you know, that was, that was one thing that showed up that was a surprise actually in me that I needed to make a decision about which way I was going to go. And the way I went was, yeah, I'm not going to help you do that because if you're going to actually advocate for yourself, if you're going to ask big, if you're going to move forward with the things that you really want, you will, you will make other people uncomfortable. That, that's going to happen. Okay. You will have, you will run up against assumptions about you. And if we spend all this time together talking about how we're, what we're not, how we can not be seen, we, we are never going to spend time figuring out what we do want and how we do want to be seen. So I, I you know, the, the project has been surprising to me and I've surprised myself um, because I, I have to, as an implicit authority in the room, you know, I've had to make some courageous choices about what I'm going to help women do and what I'm not going to help women do. That is such a, it's so well articulated on so many fronts with regards to many of the options women in particular, men do too, but women in particular face in making choices and decisions, regardless of the world in which they're making that work, family, home, 
relationships, friendships, um, and things shift and change as we get older. So uh, learning early on how to be okay with who you are and what you want. And just because somebody says no, doesn't mean that you stop asking. It doesn't mean that it's the end of the conversation. Um, it mostly, and, it, it's not mostly, it's not. I will say that there's a couple other things that are surprising. One, you know, this shows up a lot. In, in fact, there's an entire chapter in the book literally called other things women freak out about. And it's just a series of <laughs> Q and A. It's an entire question. It's an entire uh, chapter. That's just questions I get from women and how I answer them, you know? Um, and you know, one thing that comes up a lot is women will say, how do I know I'm not crazy? Their words, not mine. Crazy. How do I know I'm not crazy? If I ask for, you know, if I'm making $89,000 a year and I'm going to go into this next ask and I'm asking for 143, how do I know I'm not crazy? And I, it, because, because we gaslight ourselves, you know, about all the things, about all the things. And my answer to that is, again, I had to like, what is my point of view on this? And my answer to that is if you can explain it, you can ask for it. Even if it's just simply, that is what my goal is. Even if your, even if your explanation is because I want it, because you get to want what you want. Very powerful. That's okay. So my next question, which we're all listening to this, very happy that you're in the coaching space and doing what you're doing. But if you weren't, if, if, if that wasn't your current space, is there something else that you'd want to be doing? I know I'd you be mentioned a long that haul you're a truck driver. You, still. <laughs> all right. No, I don't know. I have no idea what I, I can't picture myself in any other. I, I can't have a boss. Like that's one thing we're all clear on that right now. Everyone listening, everyone clear on that. I am not, I'm unemployable. So uh, it would be obviously in the entre entrepreneurial space. I don't know. I, I, I can't, I don't even indulge that fantasy because it's not, it's, it's not material to me. And I don't, I need to fall in love with what I'm actually doing. It's hard enough to stay committed when there are crappy days. Like I do a lot of daydreaming about what I might do, but it's all an expansion and different expressions of what I'm already doing, which is to help people shift perspective so that they can see themselves more powerfully and move forward in that. Well, we are all happy for that. Um, for our listeners, particularly the women in our audience, you've already shared such amazing advice, but in your many years of doing this pre-workshop, pre now the workshop, now the book, you've had lots of time to reflect and met thousands of people, no doubt. Is there one particular piece of advice on life, career, success, happiness that you'd like to share? I think it's really critical for everyone and for women to get serious about naming and claiming what's important and letting yourself go after that. It doesn't have to be a job description, doesn't have to be, you know, but what's important. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've figured out and I still have heartache around this because there's so many different things I want to do, but, it, but I also recognize that what ends up being important to me always are a combination of adventure and connected experiences. And so when I have hard days, when I have low days, when I wonder what's next, when I want to burn it all down, I look at it and go, yes, Dia, but are you getting to have a sense of adventure in your life? And are you getting to have connected experiences? And when I can answer yes, which are all days, I can answer yes. 
my life lets that be present. I've designed my life to let those two things be present to me. I can feel like I live in and can own and stand up for the life I've built for myself. So it's very easy for us to get pushed into taking on and taking responsibility for things or talked into things being important to us that actually are not. So when we get clear, not in one moment, but moment over moment, because it may change on what actually is important to us, we can take the boring job that leaves us room for the, the spending three hours a day in our greenhouse. We can take the job that lets us travel all around the world, but doesn't pay us very much because it's in alignment with what actually matters to us. That I think is the most important job we can do in our lives is to remember and to cultivate and pay attention to and articulate what's important to me. A fantastic and, and great closing words. Where can our audience find you? Web, social, are you speaking anywhere? We know you have a new book coming out in next year. <laughs> yeah, so you can go to diabondi.com and find uh, all of our work there. You can find Project Ask Like an Auctioneer there. You can also go to asklikeanauctioneer.com, which is where you'll find the book pre-order and other materials. We are recording this now at the end of 2022 or close to the end of 2022 and 2023 we are hosting and we will continue to host. I think we'll probably do one in 2023 or two. Um, and beyond, we host something called The Intensive, which is either a virtual program, um, but in this case, we're going to do a retreat, a four-day uh, retreat specifically for women around developing their leadership voice. For, so for women who are women founders, um, running organizations that are sort of series B and beyond, and for women who are VP level and above, uh, we run this small program, which we'll do in California, and you can find that um, you can find that and what that's all about around the intensive at diabondi.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for today's conversation. Truly enlightening and inspiring. And to my audience, thank you for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dia and obviously her passion for what she does and helping others uh, is what drives her every day. And certainly what she shared today will help all of us move forward in our lives and asking for what we want. As always, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net to sign up for our email list, as well as check out the links and the resources in the show notes. So thank you again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey.